When you wake up for the sunrise, you experience the light way before you see the sun. And that's what God wants from us, to be His light. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications Team. Thanks for listening into our weekly podcast. We hope today's message inspires you to dig deeper in your faith. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. This week, we're moving into the New Testament in our sermon series called The Story. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. When we're thinking about uh, moving forward in preaching, you know, one of the questions that came up was, are you going to still do this story? Like, what are you going to do? And, you know, I guess I, I, we could have diverted and done something like, you know, worship in the time of viruses. Or, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a horrible series name. But the idea is God's story goes on and so do we. And hopefully you're going to be able to track with us as we go now through the New Testament. We're at a pivot point that happened last week where we stopped. We had just finished the Old Testament after months of digging into the Old Testament, and now it's leaning in toward Jesus. And one of the things we talked about last week was in order to really understand Scripture cover to cover, which is what we're going for, is you have to understand that it's about one story. It's about one person. It's about Jesus Christ. All those stories that maybe get us confused or even sidetracked sometimes, that over time, like, we sort of forget that it's really all culminating into one grand finale, and that is God's answer to the brokenness of this world, beginning with the brokenness of our own hearts. And so we're talking today, as we get into the life of Jesus, about what he preached, what he held dear, what are the things that we should pay attention to, if he is who he says he is, if he's God incarnate, if he's, you know, God with skin on, what did he say? What did he do? How are we supposed to interpret times like this in the way of Jesus? So if you look at the Old Testament, it's a lot like the world was in a dark room. And all you had was a flashlight trying to find your way through it. In other words, humanity is kind of was stuck in its own darkness and brokenness. And when you're in a dark room, you notice a couple of things. Like, you might know where the furniture is, but you don't really know what the walls look like, right? Imagine being years trapped in a dark room. You wouldn't really see what was going on. You wouldn't know just how bad things had gotten. You would probably forget a bit about what it looked like with light in the room. I feel like this was humanity in the Old Testament. And then the prophets would come along, or Moses, or somebody, and it's like shining a flashlight on the room saying, wait, this is what it's really like. You've been blinded in this room of darkness and you can't really get the perspective that God has, but here's a little light that's gonna help you to do that. And then when Jesus came and his ministry started, it's like he ripped curtains off the wall and the light came flooding in and it showed us two things. First, just how bad the room was. It exposed the, the sin and the brokenness and how far away we really are from God, but it did something else. It showed us that there is a something outside of this room, that that something past that window that we can see because of Jesus is something that he called the kingdom of God. 
that really our life is lived between these two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of this world, which is lived in the room, the broken, dark, pretty disgusting room sometimes. And then there is the beauty and the perfection and the love and joy of the kingdom of God that we can get a glimpse of when we see Jesus and what he did. And then, of course, he gives us access to the kingdom of God by what he did on the cross. This idea of the kingdom of God, it's really fascinating. It's a phrase that you hear, but you don't register to Jesus a whole lot until you start looking. When you go back and read the Gospels, you see Jesus talks about the kingdom of God constantly. In fact, it's the overarching theme of his parables. And a lot of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God. Let me show you in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. This is verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God, that word secret is a word that means mystery uh, in the Greek. The mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So he's kind of explaining, like, I'm helping them to understand one day, but the whole point of this is so you, my disciples, will understand now what this means. What is the kingdom of God, and why do I care so much about it? Go to verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, It grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is really fascinating to me. You know, all the teaching that Jesus did, and even all the miracles, which we're going to talk about in a minute, He was doing it for the disciples even more than he was doing it for everybody else. Why? He needed to teach them what the kingdom of God was like so that they could carry the kingdom of God to the world. So what does he say about the kingdom of God? Just right here, it's like a mustard seed. It's saying the kingdom of God is going to start small, maybe even seem insignificant, but it will grow exponentially. Lord knows we don't need a lesson on exponential growth right now. But what if that idea, you know, of the scary virus, what if that could be turned to a positive of understanding the kingdom of God better? That it's something that can start with the smallest of things and it will grow exponentially until the kingdom of God is everywhere. Jesus was helping to explain that this kingdom of God, yeah, we still see the dark room, but one day we're all going to be outside that room in the kingdom of God, that he makes a way for a different way. Jesus' most famous teaching is in Matthew chapter 5. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest teaching that Jesus has in all the Gospels. Chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now notice how countercultural, how counter-kingdom of this world his teaching really is. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is, of course, synonymous with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In God's kingdom, everything looks different. Everything that we would expect as a blessing is actually turned on its head. And it seems like in God's kingdom, it's not just the, the few and the special and the privileged who get all the blessings. It's everybody, everybody who's ever experienced persecution or hardship or suffering. The kingdom of God is for you. Imagine how countercultural his message was in his time when blessing was like only the top of the top people get blessed. All of us, well, we get the scraps. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what are, we, are, what are we learning about the kingdom of God? What is he really saying? He's saying in the kingdom of God, that's where we experience things like true justice, freedom from oppression and suffering, comfort, peace, and mercy. We can see God clearly in the kingdom of God. No more dark room. And how is this all made possible? Because of Jesus. Jesus made it possible for us to see the kingdom of God now. In fact, uh, if you remember uh, John the Baptist, uh, he, he said, you know, behold, the kingdom of God, repent, the kingdom of God has come near when he saw Jesus. What does that mean? It means the kingdom of God really started in its reality available for all of us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was the living, breathing kingdom of God here on earth. And his job was to expand God's kingdom through him to all of us. But he doesn't stop there. He didn't say, okay, well, that's just the kingdom of God, and it's great, and you all should be a part of it, right? He says that we have a role in God's kingdom to bring that light to others. He says this, verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I always say um, it's a shame that a lot of Christians haven't lived this out because I think everybody's got a story about Christians who behave badly or who hurt somebody. Or maybe you, you're watching this online and you don't go to church and part of the reason is, Christians, you, you had a bad experience. Somebody really hurt you deeply. And the thing that kills me is I know we're not perfect, and I know I say things that I probably want to take back and, and get wrong all the time, but the thing is, we are the ones who are supposed to be bringing the light of the kingdom of God to the world. We're the ones who are supposed to be the most loving, the most humble, the most charitable, we should be the first people jumping to help others and not just ourselves. In the kingdom of God, we are a light 
to the kingdom of this world. Jesus is saying, if you put your faith in me and take me to the world, you will be a light to everyone. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives us practical ways to do this. He says, here are some actions that you can do. Because I'm sure they were wondering in the middle of a sermon, like, okay, well, how exactly do I do that? You might be asking the same thing. He gives real practical advice. If you look through Matthew chapter 6, he starts with talking about prayer. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they, and by the way, I do think that's an excellent band name. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, don't miss this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying for God's kingdom to come. We are part of the answer. We are the people that God has sent to help that kingdom grow exponentially. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And what's that Lord's Prayer about? It's about being that light. Your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, your kingdom come. He talks about then how should we think about money? I mean, that's usually everyone's second question, right? (laughs) Sometimes it's the first question. I know in the middle of this crazy coronavirus stuff, in the stock market's like an EKG, and we don't know what the heck is going on, and people are freaking out, and I get it. It's like hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. I don't know. I don't even get my head around it. But the question is, how am I supposed to live this way with this new reality? How do I, trusting God, being a light to the kingdom, what does it look like? How do I handle everything? What's my perspective and what's it supposed to be? Well, he says in Matthew 6, 33, he says it straight out. He's talking about money. And he ends that talk by saying, but seek first his kingdom. First. Doesn't mean don't worry about money ever. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Translation, we become a light to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of this world, by keeping the first things first. If we keep the kingdom of God, our number one pursuit, that's how we share his kingdom with everyone. You see, what happens is when you start living out your life in faith and you're putting God first, It has an effect on you, but it has an effect on the people around you. They notice. I can't tell you how many times people have said, you know, what's what's your secret, man? You always seem happy. I said, well, it's not that I'm happy all the time, but I have a joy that nobody can rip away. And it's why I can look out on a winter landscape and see a bunch of dead trees and say, well, that's really beautiful. There's something about that in my everyday life. I I look at the landscape of my own life and I might see a lot of dead things, but I have life because of the life that's implanted in me. 
that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God and it's changed my view of everything. So yeah, pretty joyful most of the time. Doesn't mean I never get sad. It doesn't mean I'm never down. Doesn't mean I never worry. I'm ever anxious. But I have this baseline of joy in my life that never goes away. That's the kingdom of God. That's what it is in me. And the kingdom of God helps us understand who Jesus is. Because that's the real question, right? Well, who is Jesus then? What does this really mean? Well, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. He's the one who's been placed on the throne. Back to his miracles. When he was feeding the 5,000, you know, it, it does often occur to me, like, did everybody know it was a miracle? Like, wasn't, you know, Fred of Arimathea in, like, the back row or something, and someone handed him lunch, and he's like, sweet, came with food. TED Talk and food, like, we're good. So, <laughs> or maybe not, but, but did the people in the back know that a miracle had happened, or did they just get food? The miracles were really designed for the disciples to have faith that the kingdom of God was real, that it would grow, and that they were going to be a part of it. If you ever notice, when there's a miracle happening, Jesus never does a miracle for the sake of a miracle. He does it for the sake of getting people's attention to teach them something. This is exactly what happens in John's gospel after the feeding of the 5,000. We go to John chapter 6. After, of course, they stole that kid's lunch. I like to think he gave it up freely. And then, and then there was enough to feed everybody with even some left over. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And then Jesus gives a teaching moment. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? And gosh, like so many reasons Jesus is so much better than me is I would be so annoyed with that. What signs? Are you kidding? Did we not just feed 5,000 miraculously? What signs? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Another way of framing it in our talk about the kingdom of God is Jesus is the door. He is the way. He leads us out of this trapped room that we're in into the kingdom of God, which begins the moment we put our faith and trust in him. This is wild. So we believe that people of faith are living in the midst of two kingdoms, and you can feel it. You can feel the tension between them all the time. The kingdom of this world with all of its brokenness and worry and pain, and then the kingdom of God that we experience when we worship God together, when we feed the hungry, when we help the homeless, when we are gathered together breaking bread and fellowship, when we're serving 
You, you get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. You can very much feel that both of these things are in tension right now. But one day, all that will be left is the kingdom of God. And we are part of bringing it forward as his followers. I know some people, they're just like, well, did Jesus really claim that he was God? Or was this all figured out years later? Who did Jesus actually claim to be? It sounds like it's just something that got a little out of control. Like it started that Jesus was this really great teacher, and then we heard about a couple of miracles, and then we started putting this stuff on him. It's, oh, he's God. Well, there are a lot of reasons why that's not so. And again, if you want to go back to last week's sermon, I talked about how we got uh, the, the stories of the New Testament, how, we, how the history uh, confirms the events that were happening, so on and so forth. But who did Jesus claim to be? I think this is a really easy answer. Is he says this in John 8, 58. He says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. If you remember, and some of you know this because you've heard me say this before, but if you remember in that moment of the burning bush when God called out to Moses and God introduced himself as what? I am. Which is so deep and mind-bending anyway because you think the one who is eternal, he's outside of human space-time. He is always in the present. He is the I am. Because you think, well, was God just using bad grammar, or is there something really profound here? No, he is the I am, the ever-present one. And what Jesus is saying here is not lost on the people who are hearing him. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. He's saying, I am the I am. I am the bread of life. I'm the manna from heaven. I'm the one who's going to lead you to the kingdom of God. At this, they picked up their stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They were going to kill him. That was blasphemy. They knew he was claiming to be God. Who did Jesus claim to be? He claimed to be God, which is why he was brought up on charges, which is why he was crucified. So it's pretty hard to argue that he didn't claim to be God. He did. That's what got him into trouble, so to speak. That's what got him to the end of his life. But that's not the most important thing, is it? The most important thing is this. Who is Jesus to you? It's one thing to think, well, maybe, maybe he was a really good teacher. He had great things to say and philosophies that I could learn from my life. And I, I'm sure there's some benefit to that. I think if you followed in the way of Jesus, your life would probably get better in some way. I have to think that's true. But it's not just kind of like, like the Barnes & Noble self-help section, right? It's not like... Well, if I just engage in this philosophy, I'm going to... No, that's not exactly it. Because there's something else at stake. There's something supernatural. There's a kingdom of God part of this that's flowing in us and through us to the rest of the world. That's part of God's great big story, big plan of redemption for all. That through the cross, he's made a way out of the room. Who is Jesus to you? Honestly, I think this is the biggest question in your story. Amen. So we invite the band to come back up and close this out with some...
singing. A couple of things before we sign off here today and we close our service. First of all, thank you. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us. But also, we have some Sunday school material that's going to come up in our feed in just a couple of minutes. There's going to be some at-home activities and things that you can do with your kids so that we're going to find a way to make Sunday school happen for you, uh, even virtually. So I want to encourage you folks to do that and to get in that and, and enjoy that time with your kids as you're uh, helping them to connect with God and continue that connection. Because really, what we're trying to avoid is we don't want weeks to go by where we're not really checking in with God, where we're not worshiping, we're not learning and we want that for our kids, too. It's real easy to fall in and out of habits. Let's build a good habit during this Lenten season. And so thank you, everyone, for being a part of this, everyone here who's helped make this happen, all of our musicians and our production team whom you can't see but are working behind the scenes. Thank you so much. And let me offer this prayer. Oh, God, bless us as we move forward in our lives today. Help us to show and to grow your kingdom to the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.